Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. But I know everybody else's story, and everybody else's story all has like these seasons of highs and these seasons of lows, and it's the low seasons that we call, well, we're in the meantime. In the meantime is the time and season of your life, many times where you feel stuck, you ever felt like I can't go forward and I can't go backward? Like I regret the decisions that I, I did make that got me here, but the decisions that I'm about to make now, I don't even know what's going to happen. You ever, have you ever come to a crossroads in life where you only had two decisions and they both stunk? That's, that's called in the meantime. You ever had a decision where you just felt like if I, well, if I, if I let them stay, they're going to drive me crazy. And if I kick them out, that's going to drive me crazy too. If I, if what, no matter what I do in life, I, sometimes you want to stay. But you know, staying would be really, really hard. And sometimes so you want to leave. But then you know if I leave, it's going to be really, really hard. And there's no real good decision that I can make. I'm just kind of stuck in the meantime. I want you to be encouraged that everybody in life at some point has a season of life that we call in the meantime. And on week one, we talked about the idea that in the meantime, there's this real emotional temptation. And the emotional temptation goes like this. It's there's no way... That I can ever, we'll just put it up on the screen here. There's no way that I'm ever going to be happy again. Like you get all emotional and you're like, it's, it's, it's over. Nothing good can come from this. There's no point in continuing. That's where you begin to lose hope. And so there's this internal temptation. But I want you to know that in the midst of that, God's not absent. God's not apathetic and God's not angry about your situation. You just feel stuck in the meantime and you don't know what God's doing. And you don't know what's going on and it's frustrating and it's tough. And I'm telling you, like, be careful of that emotional temptation to think God has abandoned you. He has not. Last week, we talked about this idea that not only is there kind of an emotional temptation, but sometimes there's just the temptation to quit, to like throw in the towel, to to throw it all in. And what we learned last week is, is that God has this ability to give us a peace and a strength that we have never felt before. And if we will hold on to him, we can actually find contentment in the meantime, as crazy as that sounds. Today, we're going to look at something different where we look at something because because here's what you need to know. I think Americans in the 21st century, um, I think we are duped into some bad ideas, into some really bad theology. One of the reasons why trials, temptations, difficulties, hardships in life, living in the meantime, the reason why it wears on us so bad is because of that 21st century American mentality. We believe that things just ought to go our way. And if God really loved me, things would go my way. So when things don't go my way, God doesn't love me anymore. God's not real anymore. God's not really there. It was all fake or whatever. And that's not the case. And I'll prove it to you. The people who walked with Jesus totally felt the opposite. The people who walked with Jesus faced incredible trials and incredible hardships. And they never once thought, oh, well, God's not for me anymore. God's not real anymore. God's left. They never, ever felt that. And the reason why is that they just kind of thought differently about it. And I'll prove it to you because there's this one guy in the Bible named James. Everybody say James. There was a little baby James up here a minute ago. This is a different kind of James. This is 2,000-year-old James. Now, if you know your Bible at all, you know that when Jesus walked around, he had, you know, 12 band of Mary followers. You know, we call them the 12 disciples. Later, they became the 12 apostles. Inside of that, there was Peter, James, and John. That's not this guy. 
That is not this James. So when you read the book of James, that's not who that is. This is actually James, the brother of Jesus. So obviously after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph go on. They end up having more kids together. And one of them was named James. Now, the interesting thing about this story is this, is that James was not a believer and follower of Jesus. There's like almost nothing mentioned of him in all the gospel accounts. The only time he's really kind of mentioned is they're kind of frustrated with Jesus and they're totally not buying into you're the Messiah thing. Because if your brother told you that he was the Messiah, would you believe him? No, you you wouldn't. And so this guy, this is what you need to know the story. This is one of the most compelling reasons maybe for why Jesus actually rose from the dead. Because James, the Bible says it was after the resurrection that he saw his brother and was convinced that Jesus really was who he says he was, that he really was the Messiah. Because you got to be like, that's, that's probably what it would take for you to believe that your brother was the Messiah. If I saw him dead and he came back to life, that's probably the only thing that my brother could do that would convince Because my brother's crazy. There's nothing he could do to convince me that he's the Messiah. But if he did that, I'd have to, I'd, like, I'd have to look into that. And that's why James, after the resurrection, becomes not just a follower of Jesus, he actually becomes a leader in the church of Jerusalem. So when they start having meetings, James is right there in the mix saying, this is the real deal, we got to tell the world about this. And James, so, so if you ever read your Bible, when you go to the book of James, you just need to know that this was written by the younger brother of Jesus. So if you're out there today and you don't even read the Bible, you, you guys still think that's pretty fascinating. That's still kind of, at least if nothing more, kind of interesting that you can go find stuff written by the brother of Jesus and just see what he had to say. Now, James says something that I would never say to you because I'm a nice person. I'm a pastor and I love you and I got a little Joel Osteen on me where I want to always believe in you and you're going to make it and you're going to overcome and (laughs) this is my Bible. I don't know. I'm I'm like, I want to believe in you. And, and like when you're down, I'm going to encourage you and build you up. James says something that comes off almost as insensitive, but it's so challenging. And when you dig into what he says, it's incredible. And it's going to give you, I believe, the answers to the question, what do I do in the meantime? Or, or how should I think about things? So we talked about the emotional turmoil. We talked about the desire to quit and to throw in the towel. But how should I think when I'm going through the meantime. This is what he says. James chapter 1, verse number 1, the Bible says, James, he introduces himself, I'm a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it used to be big brother Jesus, Jesus, whatever. Um, Now it's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's changed. And he's writing to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. Now this this is interesting because the reason why the 12 tribes is mentioned is because that's a reference to the 12 tribes of Israel. At this point in time that James is writing this letter, which is really a sermon that they turned into a letter. When he's writing this sermon, it's mostly just Jewish men and women that are Christians now. They really haven't even taken the gospel to the Gentiles or the rest of the world yet. This is how fresh and how new this thing is when James writes it. So he says, hey, to the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad. Everybody say scattered. Now the reason why they're scattered is this. It's because the early church, the early Jesus movement, faced so much persecution. Like pain, suffering, imprisonment, being killed by either whether it was Rome or different people. Grew, like, like so much that eventually this, this Jesus movement that was going on in Jerusalem was under so much stress and pressure and trial and suffering that they, 
Everybody say scattered. So he goes, hey, I know we all busted a move up out of here because it was getting crazy. But here's what I want you to know. And the reason why this is so important is because the very pain, suffering and trial and hardship that made them scatter. He addresses right out of the gate in verse two. The Bible says this. See, this is the stuff I wouldn't say. Hey, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. I don't say that to you. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, I love you so much. Let's pray. I'm going to believe in you. James says, I want you to, everybody say, consider. Like, I want you to think differently. That's the whole point. Like, how should I think when I face trials and suffering? And he goes, I want you to consider or think about this differently. I want you to think that there's a possibility that you could have joy even in the midst of your pain and suffering. I, I, I want you to know that it's possible for you to still have joy even when everything's going against you. I want you to know that you can still have joy when you don't have good solutions. You can have joy when the doctor gives you a report that although you're not you're going to die, your life will not, not quite ever be the same. Like, you can still have joy. Now, I don't know how yet, but that's what he says. He goes, but you can have it whenever you face trials of many kinds, which James is basically, and again, this is why the Christians in the early church thought differently. James came out the gate and said, hey, you're going to face trials. Be prepared. They're going to come suddenly. They're going to come unexpectedly. They're going to come in all kinds of different sizes and shapes. And that doesn't mean that God has left you. It just means you need to be prepared for them. Jesus was the same way. All the disciples died in these brutal ways or were suffered in some type of way. And none of them was shocked. Jesus prepared every one of them and said, hey, just by following me, you're going to face suffering. And they went ahead and did it anyway. So I don't want you as a 21st century American person to think, oh, I'm going to follow Jesus and everything will just be easy now. Oh, I'm going to follow Jesus and everything's just supposed to go my way. It won't. And James is saying, be prepared. Verse number three, he says this. He says, because you know. Like as a follower of Jesus, the more you know Jesus, the more you follow in his ways, you should have an intuition and know something. And you, you kind of know this anyway. You know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Now, if you've ever been through anything in life that hurt you or caused you pain, you know that it produces in you that if you'll fight, that if you'll endure, that you'll hang in there, if you'll stay in there, if you'll keep trusting God, keep following God, you know that when you come out on the other end, something's different about you. It produced in you something that you did not have beforehand. And here's, here's how I know that if you've never been through anything, there are certain people in life that like, they're like my heroes. There are certain people in life, they are Christians that whenever they go through something terrible and awful, and it's strange, it doesn't make sense. For some reason, these people are so cool. They're so calm. They're so collected. They're at peace. Like, I know this one girl who, who was told, oh, this is going to happen with your kids and medically and this and this and your kids are never going to do this and this and this. And you know what her, her faith was? Her, I would have cried. I would have been upset. I would have thrown my Bible and been angry. I would have done all kinds of things. She was like, you know, that's okay. No, no, no. It's okay. God's going to heal. God's going to miraculously do it. God's going to be with us. And I'm like, that's incredible. Because I'd be angry right now. I'd be mad right now. And you know what? These are the type of people that, have you ever seen anybody like this before? That when they go through stuff, their faith in God seems to rise to another level. And I'll tell you, it's because they know something apparently that we don't know. 
This is, this is what I've watched now for, for over a decade now. I've watched Christian men and women go through incredible trials and heartaches. And I've seen that what they know is different than what other people know. Because how many know this? Let me, let me put it this. Trials don't make you mature in life. Perseverance makes you mature in life. You see the difference? You ever seen somebody go through a trial and they come out worse on the other end? They come out bitter on the other end? In the midst of their trial, rather than turning to faith in God, they turn to medicate the pain. And whether it was Jack Daniels or Jim Beam or Mary Jane or you know, one of your other friends, somebody comforted you in that moment and your life didn't get better. Your life actually got, it got worse. So I'm not saying that trials make you better. I'm saying perseverance makes you better. And there are certain Christians that kind of embody this thing. It's almost like they know something. They have a faith that we all hopefully have. And here's what I think they know. Let me, let, me, let me throw out a couple ideas. Here's what I think these faithful, solid people really know. Number one is this, is that trials are not final. They're temporary. Like you need to know that. Like in terms of like what you need to be considering and focusing and thinking on when you're in the midst of the meantime, you need to know they're not final. They're temporary. But when you're in the midst of it, don't you feel like this will never end? You ever get so like, oh my gosh, I'll never. You ever have a sickness that you're like, this is supposed to be like a two-day cold. And I've had it for two weeks. And you're like, I'm tired of breathing through my mouth at night as I sleep. I'm tired of not being able to sleep at night. And, because, and you start, I'm never going to be whole again. And you start getting all fatal. Does anybody ever do that sometimes? It's been like two weeks and you're ready to like, Jesus, take me. No, 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 no. They're not final. They're temporary. I promise they will eventually pass. Now, somebody just kicked back like, well, you don't know my story or you don't know my situation or you don't know my loved one because they got this thing where it was a terminal thing and they weren't going to. Well, here's what else I want you to know. Even death does not get the final say. This is what really faith-filled people believe. They, they know something because they know that even in death, Jesus wins. So at the worst thing that can happen is that you die and you go to heaven to be with Jesus. That's the worst that can happen. Now, that'll change your perspective, won't it? So you're telling me the worst that can happen is I go be with Jesus in heaven. That, that's, that's the way they think. Listen, Paul says it like this. He was one of those guys that knew. We'll talk about him a little next week. He was a guy that knew these things are temporary. Even if I die, they're still temporary. Listen to this. He says that when the perishable has been clothed in imperishable, meaning when we die and go to heaven and we get rid of this earth suit and we're, something else is going on. He says when the mortal and the mortal with immortality... Then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. He'll say, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, grave, is your sting? He's like, the worst thing they can do is kill you. That's it. And here's why Jesus rose from the dead. To conquer death. So that those who believe and trust in him, though they die, they will live forever is what the Bible says. So like he goes, you just need to know that no matter how difficult your trial is, even death does not win in the end. Number three is this, is that, that people that have that cool and calm, they just know that God is still in control. Now, you're not in control, and that's why you're freaking out. You're not in control. That's why you're worried and afraid. That's why you have every temptation to run, to quit, to abandon, to throw in the towel, to do all that you do. It's because you're not in control. That doesn't mean that God's not in control. Have you ever thought about that? Just because you're not in control does not mean that God is not in control. Here's another one. Like, I'm not alone in this trial. It is so easily... Do you ever, you ever feel like that? Nobody understands. 
Nobody gets what I'm going through. You have no, you, you, sometimes like I'll see people get mad and bitter in their trial and then somebody tries to comfort them and be like, you don't have any idea what I'm going through. I promise you, here's, this is going to make you feel happy. We're all the same. We've all been through the same stuff in life. We all cry ourselves to sleep sometimes. We all go through pain and agony. We all feel fear and worry and stress at times. Listen to me. Your story is not so unique. I bet you money I could find five other people that have been through exactly what you've been through. And that's not to diminish what you've been through. It's just to remind you that you are absolutely not alone. And in the worst case scenario, not only is it that there's not people around that haven't been through what you've been through, but I want you to know that you are not alone because God is with you. Next is this, is is that I will come through stronger. This is what they know. Great people, great men and women of faith have this idea that when, and it's weird, this is the weird one. Y'all need to buy into this one. They start thinking about their future while they're still in the meantime. They start thinking ahead and they start thinking, you know what? I know I'm going through this now, but in five years, but in 10 years, but in 20 years, I know I'm going to get through this and I'm going to come through this stronger than I am right now. Because when you're in the midst of it, you're always focused on the here and the now, aren't you? Like, that's why you always think this will never pass. I'll never get over this. I'll, I'll never be the same. No, you won't. But I promise you, people of men and women of faith, these people know that they can come through stronger. And then lastly, again, they're still thinking about the future. One day they're thinking, I will help someone else get through this trial. This is what, this is what faith-filled, mature people do. They start thinking about their futures. As a matter of fact, there's a story of a man who, uh, his name was Viktor Frankl, who lived through the concentration camps of World War II. After he got out, he started writing books and giving lectures and giving these motivational speeches. And do you know then that when they interviewed him, one of the things that they asked him was, is when you were in the concentration camps and you were experiencing such incredible pain and torment, when you were experiencing that, what were you thinking about? He said, I actually began to picture myself standing on a stage telling my story because that's how you overcome it's not by living right now in the here in the moment and just being overwhelmed by the fear and the stress it's realizing one day i'm going to beat this one day god's going to help me become stronger more mature i'm going to overcome and one day i'm going to inspire other people to overcome i will persevere and this is what james says he goes people who have incredible faith they know something they know that ultimately that that this testing of their faith will build in them something that they did not have before now how many know that's a different way to think now the opposite is just to quit the opposite is to give in the opposite is just to become overwhelmed by the moment but god's this is what james james is like a coach and a motivational speaker he's saying hey look i want you to rejoice in the fact that god is with you i want you to rejoice in the fact that no matter how big this trial is that you can overcome it now he adds some some more interesting stuff to it because verse number four he says this he says let perseverance finish its work so that you can be mature and complete not lacking anything. He's, he's aware of the, of the fact that, look, in the midst of your trial, you're going to have the temptation to just jump ship. You're going to have the temptation to like quit. You're going to have the temptation to compromise all of your, your, your values and your principles, to compromise you know what God's best is for you. You're going to have that temptation. He goes, but let it finish its work. Because if you let it finish, remember we said this, is that trials don't make you mature. Perseverance makes you mature. And there's a huge difference because certain, certain people go through trials and they just become bitter. Other people go through trials and they become better. What's the difference? Is that perseverance is the thing. And here's the deal. Let me wreck some of your theology real quick here. Because this is sometimes why some of you get mad at God. 
You believe that it's God's job to make you happy. You believe that. And the reason why I know you believe that is because you get angry when you don't get your way or you don't get what you want and you think God disappointed you and God didn't give you what you wanted when you wanted. And so what I'm telling you is, is that deep down in your brain, there was this thought that, oh, God is here to make me happy. That's not the goal of life. Do you know what God's goal for your life is? The goal for your life is to not to see how happy I can become. The goal of life is to know God. Now, let me tell you why this makes so much more sense now. It's because for most of us, happiness and pleasure drives us further and further away from God. And trials actually drive us closer and closer to God. And if we'll hang in those moments and we'll persevere, James says, come back, James, please. James says that if you'll hang in there and let it finish its work, that you'll become mature. And You know what maturity is? Like, you know what the biblical definition of maturity is? It's this. It's your ability to respond as God would have you respond regardless of the circumstances. That's what maturity is. So think about this in life. Your ability, your wife does this, your husband does this, your kids do this, your boss does this. These things come against you in life. And what God's big goal for you is for you to know him and then through knowing him become this mature person. So that no matter what happens in life, you can respond as God would have you respond in that situation. Because I don't know about you, but when I respond the way I want to respond, it's ugly. When I respond the way that I want to respond, I want to cut somebody. When I respond the way that I, I want to cut somebody off, give them the cold shoulder, remove them from my life, I want to run, I want to quit, I want to medicate. Those are all the things that I would naturally want to do. And he goes, no, 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 no. When you learn to persevere... You get this thing called maturity. You draw closer to God and you become more mature. And then now, listen to this and we'll start to wrap it up. The Bible says this in verse number five. He recognizes how hard this is. Like, I, 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 I get James, James comes out and says, you can do it, you can overcome, you can persevere, you can finish the, finish the race and finish the work. But he recognizes how hard it is. So he gives you this last verse that we'll cover today. And he says, therefore, if any of you lack wisdom, everybody say wisdom. If any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. So I want you to put this in the big context now. He starts off with this idea that like, hey, you're going to face trials. You need to like swallow that pill right now and don't be shocked when trials come. Just accept it and be ready for it. But know this, that as you persevere through them, you'll get stronger. You'll find maturity. You'll find God with you the entire time. And because this is so difficult, I want you in the meantime to pray for wisdom. And here's really the context of wisdom. Wisdom is this. Wisdom is the ability to see current circumstances with a broader context. Yeah, parents, how many parents raise your hand out here? We had a bunch up here. Okay. The ones with the little ones, you don't know this quite yet, but you're going to get there. When your kids start to get older, they're going to start to do things that are dumb. Can I get an amen? They're going to start to do, because they're young. Like if you're a teenager out there, here's what you need to know. You are, by definition, naive. This is not an insult. This is a fact of your, your, your age. Because to be naive means I lack the larger perspective. The only way you can get the larger perspective is through time. So it's not an insult. It's a reality you need to embrace. And in embracing it, realize I need to listen to people who are older, wiser, and smarter than me. It's the best thing that I can do in life. And, and here's why. As a parent, have you ever seen your kids start to do something and you're like, man, if they just understood 
Let, let, let me give you an example. Um, we, have this, uh, we have this thing at our house that sits outside in the sun. It's, it's like a little apple thing with like a flower coming out, and it has two little leaves. And you put it in the sun. ever seen this? You put it in the sun, and then it just flaps its wings. Okay, that sounds really simple, right? Oh, this, is, this is not like a deep illustration, y'all. Just stay with me here. Okay, little, little flower pot thing, little wings, little flowers sticking up. And because it catches sun, when the sun hits it, it energizes it and the little, <laughs> it's not deep. My son breaks it. I don't know, I think he had his hockey stick out or something crazy. And I don't know what he's doing out there. Nobody saw and there's not, a, there's not a complete and accurate testimony coming forth about what happened to said little flower thing. But all we know is little flower thing got broken. Well, my little daughter. This is my little daughter's little thing. And to her, it's like the coolest little thing. Now, you and I are like, okay, it's, it's a little flower that it does. It's not a big deal. You know, this isn't like somebody crashed into my Porsche. This is not, it's not what that is. And literally, when she discovers the little flower, it had like, remember this? This got broken. So now it's like, it's got one little petal. It's the saddest little thing you've ever seen in your life. And when she finds it, she starts crying. Yeah, because you're a little girl. Yeah, just, but that's what she loved. Now, as an adult, you know what? It's not that big of a deal. It's okay. You know what I mean? Like, you're gonna, this too shall pass. You're going to get over this. I'll buy you a new one, you know, like whatever. Like, we know, but then all of a sudden they get a little bit, are, are you seeing, there's a broader context. As an adult, you see it's not, it's not that big of a deal, but it's a big deal to her. Or you get a little bit older and you have a kid all of a sudden who's like, you won't let me wear what? You know, and they're like, this is the worst. You're horrible. And they're mad because you didn't let them wear something. You didn't let them go to the party. You didn't let them do whatever. You didn't. And then like, or, or, or all of a sudden they get a little bit older and you see them hanging out with friends and you're like, these, these, these dudes are boneheads. There is no way this can be good for my kid to hang out with these friends. And why do you know that? Because you have a broader context. Or then all of a sudden you see them dating somebody and you're like, oh my gosh, I can see. You ever, you ever watch that? Because you see as a parent, you know more than they know and you have such a broader context. You can see the future. You can see that if they keep doing these things, attitudes, behaviors, that it's going to hurt them in, in the end. Why do you know that? Because you have a broader context. So here's what I need you to understand. This is the way God sees everything. Every, God always sees the end game. He always sees the big picture. He always knows the outcome. And if you will trust Him, listen, if you will just believe and trust in Him, you know what? No matter what I'm going through, I know there's a broader context. No matter what I'm experiencing right now, I know it's not bigger than God. It's not bigger than my Heavenly Father. And I can come through this. This is what we all want in life. So that in the midst of the storm, we can have wisdom. And we can go back and say, what do I know? I know that God is with me. I know these things are temporary. I know they're not going to beat me. I know that I can persevere and come out stronger and, and more mature. I know that God is up to something. I know that God's doing a work in me. God has a broader context than me. And so this becomes my prayer. God, help me to see like you see so that I can respond as you would have me respond. So here's what I want you to do. We'll, we'll close with this. In the meantime, here's what I want you to do. If you're right now in that season of life where you can't go forward and you can't go backward, both of your decisions that you have before you, both choices, both, both options stink, you know you're stuck. In the meantime, I want you to persevere. Because trials will not make you stronger, but perseverance will. Not only do I want you to persevere, I want you to remind yourself of what you know. Like, I want you to think 
differently. I want you to consider it differently. And then lastly, I want you to pray for wisdom. Because you don't know what might be at stake. I'm telling you right now, I talked to a young man this week. I say young man, he's probably in his late 20s. And his situation, he's in one of those meantime moments where he's been stuck in his relationship and stuck with life and he's not happy. And so he's lost all of his contentment. He starts thinking about all of his options. So he decides, I'm just going to quit. I'm going to abandon. I'm going to jump ship. And he leaves his family. And he just just throws in the towel. Took me four or five days to finally get him on the phone with me. I don't think he wanted to talk to me. And I finally got on the phone with him. And I said, hey, look, can I just... Can I just encourage you, like, you're in the funk right now. You're in the fog. where You're not seeing clearly. There, there is no wisdom. You're not seeing it as it really is. And here's what I know, is that you're in the meantime, and you're so stuck and so caught up and wanting to quit and medicate and run and hide and do, you're going to miss it. Here's what I know. This is that broader context. If your 50-year-old self could get into a time machine and come back and talk to you right now, he would kick your tail. Because he, he lacks a broader context. He lacks the bigger picture. He, he doesn't understand that in the meantime, the decisions that he's making right now, they're going to mess him up for so many. And then he's just going to find himself in a new meantime situation. And so what I want you to do is this, is I want you to pray for that wisdom. Help me to God to see as you see. Here's the prayer that I would really give you today. Heavenly Father, I believe that you will use this trial until you choose to remove this trial. And grant me the wisdom to see as you see and the strength to do as you say. Would you bow your heads with me today? God, I pray for these great people who are here today, God, and I pray for the ones that are going in the trial right now. God, that you would give them a strength, an ability, a a peace of mind. God, give them a wisdom to know what to do and how to do it, God a strength of conviction to stay the course with what you called them to do, God, I pray, help them, Lord. And for those of, those of us who are not in that meantime situation, God, I pray that you would prepare us now, that, God, we would be thinking right now. We would be prepared that trials will come no matter what, what we believe or how great it might be. Trials will eventually come. Help us to be prepared for them when they come so they don't shake our faith or so that in those moments we're not ready to quit, run, throw in the towel because, God, you are our strength, Lord. God, we pray these things today in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Amen. Can we have a little big hand clap this morning? Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.